Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Mason Jar here on the Cersei Institute Podcast Network. I'm David Kern, and coming up in just a minute, we will have Cindy's interview this month with Elsie Uticello, who is a young mom and therefore has a lot to say about uh, what the Charlotte Mason experience can be like for moms of young children who are, you know, maybe not quite as established in their homeschool world or, you know, maybe just are beginning to learn about Charlotte Mason or any of the other circumstances that a young mom could find herself in. So Cindy and Elsie chat about that. But of course, first, I need to say a quick word from our friends over at Morning Tide to Eventide. Jennifer and Delaney, owners of Morning Tide to Eventide, would like to show you their products over at their website, morningtidetoeventide.com. They make beautiful magnetic schedule boards and a Christian year paper planners. Delaney and Jennifer Bascom know just about as well as anyone how difficult it can be to balance work, home, church, and homeschool. And because of their busy lives as print shop owners, they've invented tools to help keep order and peace in the home through their magnetic tactile schedule boards and planners. We could all use a little help getting and staying organized. And with a beautiful planner and schedule board, it's a pleasure to plan, schedule, and do the next thing using morning tie to even tide products. The planners even feature original watercolor artwork by Jennifer. So join in the Facebook community to learn from others about keeping time with the Christian year and getting and staying organized. Morning Tide is also hosting a 60 Days of Devotions Challenge, and it's not too late to join in. So head over to their group and find out how. Just search in the Facebook groups and type in Morning Tide to Eventide. And again, that's Morning Tide to Eventide, not Evening Tide, Eventide. Uh, they have a special coupon just for Mason Jar listeners. If you go to morningtidetoeventide.com slash the Mason Jar, that's slash the Mason Jar, you can subscribe and then Jennifer will send you an exclusive coupon just for listening today and subscribing. Go to morningtidetoeventide.com slash the Mason Jar to sign up and get your coupon. And thank you so much to Jennifer and Delaney for sponsoring the, the Mason Jar this, this summer. Their products are really cool, um, really beautiful, and we definitely encourage you to go check them out. Uh, this episode of The Mason Jar is also brought to you by our friends over at New College Franklin, where they respect the sacrifices you have made as parents and teachers to educate your children in wisdom and virtue. But how do you sustain this during the college years? That's a tough question. And, you know, New College is here to help through a robust exploration of the great books and the classical seven liberal arts in an environment of rich conversation, shared life, and spiritual discipleship. New College Franklin continues to build on the foundation you have laid. New College students grow in wisdom and see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So take the next step in your education or your student's education and join the conversation in beautiful Franklin, Tennessee. You can go for a preview weekend or just schedule a visit at your own convenience. That's newcollegefranklin.org to learn more. That's newcollegefranklin.org. And so thanks uh, also to Greg Wilbur, to Jonathan Rogers, and the whole team over at New College Franklin for sponsoring. We're grateful to continue to build our relationship with them. They've been really good friends of ours over the last couple of years. And um, Greg spoke at our conference this summer. And I, th- and I think you'll find that uh, this is a really cool school that's doing really great things. Um, and if you are a mom of a student who is nearing the college age, definitely check out what New College is doing. It's a small school, but they have their priorities right, um, which is which is rare these days. So check them out at newcollegefranklin.org. So um, thanks so much to both of these sponsors for making the podcast network possible this month. Without them, we would uh, not be able to, to produce as much content as, as we have been able to. Um, and of course, if you would, head over to The Mason Jar uh, on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe, and then hit the star review button if you would. Um, of course, we always value... Uh, written reviews as well. They, they're really um, useful for us in helping us figure out how to improve or continue to do similar things that we're already doing that you like. Um, and then they also just help us, you know, climb the chart, so to speak, the iTunes algorithm. 
they, they value starred reviews and written reviews. So um, we would definitely appreciate if you would head over there and, and leave one of those for us. But okay, again, as I say, that's the business side of the way. Let's get you over to Cindy's interview with Elsie Uticello. Um, more on Elsie coming up here on the show. She'll describe a little bit about her life, um, the work that she's doing now, and where you can learn more about what she's up to. So without further ado, here's Cindy and Elsie Uticello. Um, I'm here today with um, Elsie Uticello, and um, she's a young mom. Her oldest is nine, and uh, she has several boys. Do you, and, and and we'll we'll get it. We'll have a minute where she tells us about herself in a second. But one of the reasons I wanted to have her on. I was in Florida this year in Orlando, and I met Elsie, and we had a great conversation, and we started talking about families, and and she started telling me how uh, about her school and and what she was doing and the things that she was applying, and it really struck me how um, how wonderful it is when the, a young mom um, is building on the past, but she's taking it forward. So, so we have this thing, well, the old mom, you know, I'm the old mom and, you know, I have some wisdom and, and people come and say, oh, uh, you know, ask me questions. But on the other hand, we have these young moms who have actually are actually moving on from that to even f- further, even beyond where we as older moms went. And, and I always find it very refreshing to talk to a young mom. Um, and the things that you guys are getting to do as young moms that we that we didn't get a chance to do because we were still kind of haggling out some of this stuff. It, it's, it's just very exciting to me. So that's why I wanted to talk to Elsie today. And you can find her at farmhouseschoolhouse.com. And you can also find her on Instagram at, the, at those places. And you're going to really like her website. I loved her website. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go along today. But, but, but let's talk to Elsie now. So, Elsie, can you tell us a little bit about your family? Hey, Cindy. Sure. So I have four boys. They are 9, 8, 6, and 4. Um, my eldest has dyslexia. My youngest has some sensory processing issues. And we homeschool in South Florida on a little farm. My husband is an engineer and I'm very blessed to have his support with our homeschooling. He does a lot of work on the weekends and after work with the boys. They like to go outside and do farm projects or build things together. That's been a really big blessing. And uh, I'm a classical conversations director. So we have a community here um, in South Florida that we've been a part of for several years. It's been a really big blessing in our life. and. We have been a Charlotte Mason family for about five years now. So I, I'm kind of fascinating because I grew up in Florida, and, and I know it's kind of hard to farm in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you growing in your farm? Right. So we have a little orchard out front with a lot of tropical fruit trees. Mm. We don't actually have any crops in the ground. Sometimes I, I keep a small kitchen garden in the back but that traditionally only runs from October until March. We do have a year-round growing season, but it's mostly for tropical things that won't die in this horrendous heat that we have. Um, And then we have a lot of animals. We have goats, we have a pig, we have chickens, we have rabbits, and occasionally we have turkeys. Oh, wow. So fun. So it's an animal farm. Very fun. Yeah. 
that's exciting. Well, that's perfect for the boys. I'm sure they they get a lot out of that. Just just uh, on. So so how did were you always planning on homeschooling, or how did that come about? Um, I think it came about because one of my last teaching jobs before I had children was as a preschool teacher. I was actually teaching a group of 17 three-year-olds when I was six months pregnant. Mm. And that was hard in and of itself. But um, I saw a lot of things in the system that really, really troubled me. A lot of our approach to early education, oh gosh, it was really heartbreaking. And a lot of it too for the boys, because I saw a huge discrepancy between the way, the, the expectations that were put upon girls and boys. And I saw several other colleagues look at boys and think if they weren't behaving the way the girls were behaving, then they were behaving incorrectly or behaving badly. And Mm. then there was a really, really high expectation for pre-reading skills and number skills. I mean, these kids were three years old and there was a huge expectation that they should know all these letters. They should already be getting all these things under their belts. And, And it wasn't so much the school, it was really parents that wanted their children to be reading already when they were three years old and this big emphasis on, oh, we have to do flashcards at home. We have to do this, this obsession with just rushing, rushing, rushing. And oh gosh, these, I mean, they're babies, three years old. They were so little and they would come to school so tired. And by the end of the day, they had after school care or other enrichment programs and they were just, they were burnt out. They were exhausted. They were tired. There was not a lot of room left for play and for wonder. And that was really, really difficult to see. And then, you know, obviously my, my son was born um, halfway through the school year and I returned to finish out the last couple months and I came home to him and thought, I just, I don't want to miss out on your life. I want to mm-hmm. see everything. I want, I want the best hours of your day because I knew, I mean, parents would come to pick up kids from my class and these little kids would be just falling apart and they'd have to take home you know, a child that was just at the end of their rope and deal, basically just deal with them for the last couple hours of the day before putting them to sleep instead of, you know, relishing and enjoying and discovering and having fun together. So I think that was a big motivation for me. And my husband and I talked and we couldn't really afford for me to stay home, but we decided we would do whatever we had to do and live as simply as we had to live in order to make it happen. So we did. And I'm glad we did. We had all of our children in very quick succession. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And you had those boys that you had already been concerned about. So that's really interesting. Uh, That is almost identical to how I came to homeschooling. I was working in a preschool and all of a sudden I was thinking, there's nothing idyllic about this. Um, that, yeah. Like you said, the moms are tired at the end of the day and the dads. And, and then they're having to, everybody's seeing each other at their worst in a family. So mm-hmm. um, it, it's very distressing in, in that situation where you have a child in school, a, a young child in school full time. And then the expectation that the, the three-year-old is going to do hard schoolwork in, in a normal but it's not going to look like, uh, and, and I don't mean hard school work. I mean, there's a lot of work to be done as a three-year-old, but we don't have to rush it into being this kind of uh, formal learning. We, we need to make right. sure that we do the work of being a three-year-old yes. before we do the work of being a four or five, six, seven-year-old. Right. Um, but okay. So going from there, so now you're, you're, you've decided to homeschool. And, and then when did you hear about Charlotte Mason? 
Well, when I decided decided to homeschool, I thought, well, I've been trained to be a school teacher, so I'll just move everything over from the schoolroom to my home, and that was a spectacular failure. It was terrible. <laughs> uh, so I reached out to someone and I said, "What what do homeschoolers use?" And someone mentioned my father's world, and so we went out and bought it, and it was a very sweet curriculum. It worked really well for our family for a couple of years, and through there. I found Charlotte Mason. And I remember maybe we were halfway into our first year and I thought, well, this company keeps talking about Charlotte Mason. I've never heard of her. I mean, I took dozens of education courses in college, never once heard of her. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I'll, I'll read up on her. So I went and um, managed to find one copy of her book. I believe it was, uh, I believe it was a philosophy of education and then um, read, devoured that, and then read Home Education. And I, I just felt completely pierced because it was, she voiced all of my frustrations that I had had as a school teacher, and then gave so much hope after that, and so much validation for these inconsistencies that I had seen while I was in school, all the things that I had yearned for for my students, she voiced them. And she fleshed them out. And it was so um, inspiring and encouraging. I felt so touched by that and just gravitated to her right away and knew that it was something that I really longed for with my children. And shortly after that, we found um, classical conversations. And through that, I started studying classical education. And both of those things together just made sense to me. I thought, wow. And I never knew for years. I didn't realize that there was this thing with some people where they thought Charlotte Mason wasn't classical or vice versa. It just meshed to me. I I thought it worked totally perfectly well together. Right. We, we just jumped in with both of them and have never looked back. And it's been really good. And that is one thing I really like looking over your website, um, that you you are on a journey with your family and you've taken the, I, the your philosophy that you've learned and, and you've applied it in what works for your family. And uh, it's just it's a beautiful way to do it. And and I just find when when moms will trust themselves when they'll read the right things and get the right philosophy and then work it out. We don't have to really, there, there, there doesn't have to be all this. Well, what camp are you in? Are you in this camp? Are you in that camp? It's just, I'm going to work out what, what works best in my family. Um, yeah, by first, you know, finding out what I really believe about education and then how is that best going to work out in my home and, and not, um, you know, the splitting hairs over, um, whether or not, you know, are, are you as Charlotte Mason-y as me or am I, you know, do I fit better than you? Yeah. I, I just, I really don't see the value in that at all. Yeah. It's um, good I, to keep her in, her in her right context too. I mean, she was, you know, she was never a mom. She lived very long ago in England. Like I can't take everything she says, literally, even in South Florida, I cannot be outside for six hours in the heat with my children. It's just not going to happen. And you you certainly aren't going to dress them in wool. (laughs) Right. There's things like that. And she's also not here to speak for herself. We have her writings, um, but she's not here to speak for herself. So there's a lot of times where I think, you know, what would Charlotte say today, knowing the climate we live in, the different things that Um, are going on politically, all these different things with, you know, different philosophies of education. And I wonder what her advice would be in the midst of this burgeoning homeschool movement. So I don't know, I I try to remind myself and anyone that 
I ever speak with about this sort of thing that, you know, the, we're not supposed to be in a, in a philosophical box. These are tools that we can use to shape our way as we're going, but we don't need to, you know, stick our family in a box and seal it shut and say, you know, nothing else can come in here, or touch us or influence us. Right, you know? because a lot of that's based on fear. We become afraid or maybe people stir up fear in us. I'm afraid I'm not doing this right. And moms, moms already have a lot of fear. So this is why I get a little frustrated about the, this whole this whole subject, because um, if and now you're afraid to do what's best for your family because you're afraid it doesn't right. fit in the box you made. And it's so sad about Charlotte because she was very forward thinking for her she time. Was. And mm-hmm. why would we think that she wouldn't have um, grown and changed, you know, continued mm-hmm. to um, to 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 do that in her life? Yeah. Um, so. So, yeah. Amen. I agree with that. Um, so, so one of the things that I really, really liked when talking to you, the thing that really stuck with me, and then I saw that on your website, you had a whole tab um, called Rhythm. That is a wonderful tab. Everybody should go there and look at, and look at that. Um, but, but you, you said through hit and miss kind of, you found a rhythm in your school and the way you worked, especially with your boys. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so we started with morning time years and years ago, and I was so excited when I found you online because there was this moment of, oh my goodness, I'm not alone in the universe. There's someone else that's doing this, and she has a name for it. It's called morning time. (laughs) We never called it morning time. It was just what we did in the mornings, and I, I realized that um, you know, with four boys, if I feed them, they will come. And I love reading. I've, I've loved reading since I was a little girl. It was my favorite thing to do growing up. I was rarely ever without a book in my hands. And so I would put out food and my little toddlers were come. I mean, we started morning time. I was the only one at the table not wearing diapers. It was that <laughs> early. And it only lasted like five minutes. It wasn't like this huge production. There wasn't a huge lesson plan. It was just come and, you know, feed your body and nourish your soul type of thing. Wow. And so we would just get together. And what I realized is that, you know, as the days went by, what was really happening was that their hearts were being slowly inclined toward truth and goodness and beauty. And I thought, wow, this is this is so powerful. It's not about a scope and sequence or this so different from how I had been trained. There there are no these are mornings without measure is what I like to, to call wow. it. Yeah. You know, they're not things that can be measured. It's just beautiful things that are shaping us. It's not about what we're doing, it's about who we are and who we are becoming. So we started off with morning time and I, and as the years went by, obviously it, it increased. We went from five minutes to 20 minutes to 40 minutes. And these days we're at the table for about an hour and a half in the mornings, just relaxing and, you know, reading the Bible or reading good stories, taking our time eating, eating food. I have, um, my youngest, as I mentioned, has, um, sensory processing issues. So he usually makes, and he's four years old. He mm-hmm. usually makes it, um, through breakfast and about 10 minutes after he's done eating. That's about what I would expect for him. So we have a little um, stack of toys to the side that are just morning time toys and right. he uses them and he plays while we while we wrap up. But the boys, you know, once we wrap, they have their chores, they practice on their instruments a little bit, they make their beds, and then we come back to um, our classroom. And what I like to do is that we start every new subject right on the hour. And the kids have you know, they know they have that whole hour to complete their work, but it never really takes them an hour. They're all at various stages in their 
you know, Charlotte Mason education. So for one child, you know, the lesson is only 15 minutes for the other ones. They're up to about 25, 30 minutes now. Um, and they do their work. And once they're done, the, that rest of the hour belongs to them. And why I initially organized it that way, uh, because Leigh Bortons had recommended something similar in her foundation's guide for classical education. I thought it was such a good idea. So I kind of took that. And initially it was just, okay, well now I'll have, you know, 20, 30 minutes, you know, while they're playing and resetting their buttons, I can go do laundry or I can do this or that. I can read a book, do something mother culture oriented, and then we'll start again on the new hour. But what was really interesting and what I didn't expect was that sometimes the boys, when they're done with their work, they certainly have times where they just go play with Legos for half an hour. But more often than not, they have feasted on a really beautiful idea and they go out and play with it in their own way. So sometimes mm -hmm. they'll go outside and experiment with things or talk about things. Um, I have one son that needs to do hands-on activities in order to think so there was one morning, um, I forget what it was that we had been, we studied something in class that was pretty profound. And he went out to his little workshop, his little wood shop that we have set up for him. And he was building a little birdhouse. And I hear him talking to himself. And I kind of walk over and I was like, are you trying to ask me a question? And he said, no, I'm just working out some of the things we talked about just now in my mind. Oh. <laughs> Said, oh, that's so interesting. What are you thinking about? And he said, well, I just think it's so interesting how something that happened so long ago is still something that is part of me today. I said, well, what do you mean by that? And he's basically talking about the science of relations, how, you know, everything is related one into the other and how one subject pours into another subject. And, you know, for him and his circumstance, he is not untouched by this because there was this rippling impact that eventually affected him and his life and of course he didn't put it in so many words but that's kind of where he was going and I thought wow it's amazing how much learning happens when we just leave kids alone and mm. give them space to think space to breathe space to just be you know sometimes we want to load them up you know we always talk about laying the feast with Charlotte Mason a lot of laying the feast is, you know, wait, waiting between courses. And oh, that's such people, a good point. You know, giving them time to breathe because sometimes we pile, you know, in our, in our whatever, our desperation to give them beautiful things. Sometimes you can give so much that nothing is taken in and nothing is processed. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of where we've landed where, you know, we, we start our subjects on the hour and they have, you know, their allotted time to, to finish it. And the rest of the time is there. And I'm just continually impressed by how much time children need to think and to just be left alone in stillness and quietness and rowdy play, what, however that looks like for them to be able to process what they've taken in. That I, I just can't, I, I think it's such a wonderful idea. And when I think about it, it also can help the mom, like you're saying, not to just like say, or, or the child where you have some children that if you give them a list and, and they can't wait to just check everything off the list. Right. And, mm -hmm. and there is, you know, it, and that makes us happy because, okay, we got the list done. But there's something about that that's a little disturbing when we think about what we're really trying to do with our children. So to have this natural rhythm to say, you know, th we're going to do this with, at the top of the hour and then we're going to wait. And then we're going to do this at the top of the hour. I, I think that 
uh, introduces a level of discipline that that does it just opens the door to all kinds of processing and learning that that we a lot of what we we spend our time on I think it doesn't ever stick with our kids because we just re- really we just wanted to check it off. We really just wanted to get it done. We really we really we really didn't care if anybody learned anything. I know that that's how um, it it can get in the high school years. Uh, we mm-hmm. really just want to check things off um, because yeah. we're supposed to in our culture, and the learning is definitely takes a back seat at that point. Yeah. So true. I think a lot of it, too, is just our mindset, our purpose of education. I I often have people come and ask, you know, what should I buy? What should I use? All of these questions. And they haven't really even figured out the why behind their homeschooling yet. So, you know, something I continuously look at when I'm planning out, you know, our schedule or rhythm for the year is not what are they learning, but who are they becoming? Mm. And and in asking myself that question, I mean, that that changes the way I orient my schedule entirely. I mean, I'm, I'm planning now for the start of the fall term and I'm thinking of my boys and who they're becoming. And I have academic goals and I know that there are certain character goals or habit training goals that aren't there yet um, and that without those, they can't meet those academic goals. So I know this summer I have some character training to work on, some habit training to work on to help them be able to meet those academic goals that we have set. Um, so that's a large part of it, too, is when you're thinking, you know, who are they becoming? What is the purpose of this? You know, this isn't an industrialized modern education. This is a personalized education of a child, you know, the shaping of their character, um, the nourishment of their soul, all of those things. So, you know, how we approach the schedule, when we look at it that way, you, you kind of stop thinking about it in terms of efficiency and production. And you start thinking more in terms of shaping and of life, of giving a life giving education. Yeah. Now, when you see their free time like that, and in, in, on an hourly basis, do you sort of get it? Does that give you any little clues about their character? Do, do you pick up things at that point? Like, um, are, like, are they fighting or do they? Right. Uh, well, I mean, there's, there's everyday gunk, you know, just our humanity and things that we have to work through. But then there's also things, you know, the other day my son wanted to do a certain kind of science experiment. He's very excited about science right now. It's, it's kind of like he's, he's strapped on his jetpack and he's ready to just blast <laughs> off in that area. But I saw that there were certain things in terms of um, patience, you know, with gathering things and um, attention to detail and being careful when preparing materials and things like that, that he wasn't quite getting. And he's six years old, so it's completely appropriate that sure. he's not totally, totally there yet. But I, you know, he had asked, you know, mom, while the older boys are doing their science study next year, could I do my own science experiments? He has his own space that's set apart from the other kids. He's a third child. So I felt it was really important to give him his own space that was just for him. Um, I mean, he's the kind of kid that shouts everything. He doesn't, he has no volume control because he always feels <laughs> like, I need to get hurt. I got to shout everything. Exactly. Um, and he's like, I just want to do science experiments, you know, at my station next year. And I thought, well, that's great. I think that's wonderful. And let's let's work on that. Let's 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 get you to the point where you can gather your materials safely and go through your scientific method and experiment. And then if you want to go outside and try things without the scientific, you know, method and just see, 
you know, what happens, we can do that too. So, you know, let's start working on those kind of things. So it was just, you know, a few weeks of careful training where he would watch me do it. Um, Sonia Schaefer of Simply Charlotte Mason has a great um, uh, article about this on her blog, but you know, you, you demonstrate it for the child, the child does it with you, um, then you do it with the child while you're watching the child, and then you step away and let the child do it by himself. Basically, some some kind of order like that spread over you know 15 or 20 times. Right. And by now he's able to do it, and he's doing pretty well. He's he's remembered most of what we've spoken about, and we're to the point now where I'm getting ready to step away completely and watch him do things by himself. So that's that's kind of where, what I mean, where you know you look at. Um, their habit of attention or their attention to detail or seizing opportunity is a big, um, is a big habit that, you know, I found right. That's kind of golden for the age six to seven, where Mm. you start teaching them to look around for opportunities to learn something, to be helpful, um, you know, to, to look for adventure or whatever it is that you want them, you know, to be seizing, that's a great time for it. So we're so working they, on that so as well. Yeah. I, and really you're teaching them to be observant and that's what mm-hmm. it's all about. Instead of just yeah. falling into oh, an adventure, you know, we're actually looking for an adventure or we're, we're aware that that's right. what we're doing or we're looking for, to help someone out yeah. or we're looking yeah to serve. Um, right. And or... they do that naturally now in the grammar stage anyway, that attention to detail is a very big part of, you know, teaching with the grain with where they're at right now. Um, it's just kind of giving them better direction. So they know which details, you know, to pick up on. And it's that, and, but you do it in a Charlotte Mason way. So you're not slapping them in the face with it. You're just kind of gently leading them to it, you know? Yeah. And I think that, that um, this is where um, there's a cross where Charlotte Mason, and classical are together uh, because um, because classical education is based on imitation. When we get right down to it, that that's what mm-hmm. classical education is based on. And really, that's what Charlotte Mason is saying at this point, mm-hmm. that um, the teacher is not teaching, 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 teaching. Right. She's imitating. She's modeling. She's showing. Um, right. You know, you're like the lead learner. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's why on nature walks, it's if 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 the teacher, it, she can get discouraged if she has all these things to share and nobody's listening. But but really, what she's modeling is how a person really cares about these things. And, and, and that can be exciting. Even if the kids don't learn exactly, it could be exciting just to see, well, look at her. She's over there with her, her, her field guide and her drawing pad. And, and she's trying to make some quick notes. And, and and that's, that's an important thing far beyond just, Oh, now we know everything there is to know about this flower. Right. So, so this is, um, so this is how you've worked out this rhythm in your family. And, uh, so now your kids throughout the day are, are having plenty of time to move their muscles and play. Have you seen this make a difference in, in their, t- at the top of the hour then oh. on their attention span? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, one of my big frustrations early on was that, you know, growing the habit of attention, I kept thinking, you know, oh, I wish I had more more practical things to help me figure out how to do this. And our society is pretty counterintuitive to that because we're constantly, I mean, just put on a kid's TV show with camera angles that change every two and a half mm. seconds. We're not exactly a society that's promoting long attention spans. So, you know, that required a lot of, of shifting and, and cutting away of things. And then, um, 
once we started that block schedule, I realized that giving boys all that time, you know, when I first started, I'll be honest, I thought of it as I'll give them time to get their wiggles out so that then they can learn. But over time, I've realized that while they're wiggling, they're learning. So Mm -hmm. when they're out there doing all of those things, making mud pies, climbing trees, playing with basically the the physics of the world around them and, you know, learning how to adjust their expectations or how to deal with the disappointment. They're, you know, they're emotionally sorting their world. Well, that's just, it's, it's not just getting their wiggles out. It's preparing them to come back in with, with something to pour into their academics as they're receiving things. So, you know, my, my children, you, you made a great statement um, in your lecture at the, at, the, at the conference a couple of weeks ago. Um, you said, how are children supposed to write a metaphor when they have nothing to attach it to? Mm. And that, that really struck me. I thought, oh, that's so true, because I see that even now with my son, um, my eldest, who, you know, has dyslexia. His, his, he has a very difficult time with spelling, and he's made huge strides in the last year. But as he's approaching this phase of wanting to write creatively, even though the spelling is awful, I see such beauty in his words because he has so many things to draw from. I always tell my my husband, you know, when he's sitting at a table writing um, his narrations, I feel like his feet are planted in another world. Mm. You know, he's there writing things, but he's off in some beautiful mud luscious kingdom, you know, fighting dragons or thinking of all these other things with friends and stories that you know, bolster up his courage and give him pluck and fortitude and and get him excited for the next thing. And having that outdoor time helps them with the challenges that they're facing. My, my son mentioned a year ago, we were tackling a difficult math problem. And I said, do you need to step away from this for a while just to think about it? And he said, no, I want to do it now. I mean, yesterday I was trying, he starts telling me this whole story about how he wanted to um, get a pulley system put up in in their tree and how they were having such a hard time because there was moss on the bark and it was wet and the rope was slipping and they were trying to figure out a way to secure it without having it fall and it had to be weighted correctly. And he said, we we just worked at it till we got it. So I'm just going to work at this till I get it. Mm. And I thought, wow, look at what what free play taught you, kiddo, you know? Right, right. And you could almost say that kids that don't have that are really the ones who are stunted. They don't have anything to bring to what they're, 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 people are trying to pull out from them things that aren't in them. (laughs) That aren't in there. Yeah, that's definitely true. It's, it's very, very difficult. And I, I saw that a lot in my, um, during my college years, I was able, I was blessed to be able to work with a local middle school to complete some of my teaching hours. And I went as, as a teacher's aide in a seventh grade classroom and they were reading George Orwell's Animal Farm. Mm-hmm. And I remember the teacher was trying to like draw out, and this is in Illinois, you know, she's trying to draw out these themes from the kids and trying to talk about different things. And um, it just really felt like pulling teeth. And for a while I thought, well, they're just not interested in the book. And again, this is before I knew about Charlotte Mason or classical education or, or anything like that. I had one professor that had us read uh, Quintilian, and that was that was great. But I mean, aside from that, I really didn't have a lot of experience with it. And I remember her just pulling and pulling and pulling. And after a while, I thought, kids don't have anything to say because they can't, you know, they, they have nothing to draw from. Like, there's no, you know, I always... I always think of childhood as the opportunity to dig this really deep well, you know, with mm-hmm. stories and 
play and experiences that children can draw from later on. And it's like the well is shallow. You know, there's there's not a lot there. There's There hasn't been enough poured into them. And there was one girl in the class that would answer every now and then. And I realized she was just shyer. But by the end, she was talking a lot more. And I, I stopped her afterwards and I said, I really appreciated what you said in class today. And she said, thanks. I really love reading. And I said, oh, what, how, you know, what kind of books? I started talking to her, what kind of books do you like, all this stuff? And it eventually comes out, her parents read, read to her every night. Mm. And not for the purpose of, you know, academic enrichment or it wasn't like science books or whatever. They right, were just sitting right. there enjoying stories with her every night. And I thought that has, that has done you so much good because it's, it's shaped you in so many different ways and you now have you know this well inside you where you can pour out draw from it and pour things out to say so I thought that was really really interesting even back then when I when I had no idea right, right. really you I could still see the difference you know yeah I've noticed that with my my older kids as they move into the culture and they they've come from just a rich literary background and then they're they're confronted with in college or wherever with this. Let's discuss this. Let's draw it out. Let, what is the author trying to say? Um, and and they and they come home and they say, I hate this. I hate doing yeah. this. Um, it, it it gets in the way of their enjoyment of the book and 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 of their own processing and what would mm-hmm. happen if they were just left. And I think you can discuss a book without um, doing that, without trying to uh, make it um, overly uh, neurotic, I guess you could say. Um, Definitely. I mean, the point of that class was basically to tear apart Animal Farm. Yeah. yeah. How do we tear this apart? Yeah. It was just a lot of blank looks. And and it's almost like we're saying, we're going to read this book in order to tell how terrible it is or what we disagree with it. Like it's more about uh, tearing it down or I, and I guess that's a lot of what C.S. Lewis talks about in the evolution of man. Yeah. Um, but, but we, I don't even think we, we think that now it's, it's so ingrained in us that we, we actually think that's learning and we really don't know how to teach Mm -hmm. apart from that. So to say not to do that is like, well, then what do you do? Right. But instead we do this other thing, this wonderful, rich, uh, rich environment of back and forth between living your life and then reading and then uh, approaching all these, you know, uh, you know, how, how can you understand what you're reading if you don't, if you don't actually have a, a life right. that you're living. So I just really like that idea of the, the top of the hour thing. And I don't, I don't know how that works out in your day where do, does your day go on a little longer that way or, um, do you, have um, you learned that you can only do so much and so you're, you're good with that? Oh, definitely. You can only, only do so much. So, so what I do is that I order the day so that our most in, the subjects that are most important to us that, that we want to finish every day, those go first. Right. <laughs> so, um, that way, if something happens, you know, if my youngest just has a really hard day or if other things come up or if there's an opportunity you know, to go for a nature hike with friends or to do something else that's of, of value, you know, we can easily let go of the rest without it being a, a huge issue. Um, so we progress through the morning at lunch. We have our, my, my son calls it lit lunch because we light a little candle and oh. we read, we read a book while we eat. Perfect. Right what a great Shakespearean play on words. <laughs> Called it lit lunch. And so um, we are reading Treasure Island right now. 
uh, which means that, you know, we get to talk in fun pirate voices as oh, we're yes. setting the table and stuff. And they're just, I mean, there's, I, I love, I love how hooked they are on this story. Every time we, I open the book and everyone kind of leans forward a little bit over their plates and their eyes are big and they're just waiting to hear what else is going to happen. They're, they're so excited about it. Um, so after lunch, my youngest um, is still at a point where he needs a little bit of quiet time. So I love Jim Weiss, his stories, his recordings. Oh, yes. I just, I love, my kids love his voice. They've had the opportunity to meet him a couple of times and they think he is just the best ever. So I put on some Jim Weiss audiobooks. We have a great one on nursery rhymes and poetry right now that my little guy's listening to. And he just kind of lays in bed and cuddles with his animals and some books and he listens to some stories. And I'm very fortunate that um, we've been able to, to train him slowly over time to just stay in his bed for about an hour. And during that time, you know, we'll, we'll tackle a, a couple of more difficult subjects with the kids that these are subjects that are of their own personal interest. My, my boys asked to study Latin, mm. which I was kind of horrified when they told me because <laughs> I, I don't know Latin. But at the same time, I thought, well, I'm not going to ask them to learn something I'm not willing to learn myself later on. So if they're asking me to learn something now with them, you know, I better do it. So we um, we started learning Latin together in the afternoons. And I'm amazed at I, maybe it's because it wasn't required. But my boys just love it. They're yes, having so yes. much fun with it. They're like, this is like math. Everything makes sense. It's nothing like English. This makes sense. So they're having a they're having a great time learning about that. And then they do a lot of um, handiwork in the afternoons. All my boys uh, crochet. Okay. And some of them like to knit. We have a, a couple that like to, to whittle wood. They're kind of still figuring out um, the fundamentals of that. And um, my eldest loves Legos. So he likes to build little machines that he can, you know, manipulate and, and move around the house in the afternoons. And then they have their personal reading time and personal reading time lasts about an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. And during that time, I'm doing my youngest son's uh, therapy. So we do some speech therapy and some other sensory play with the homegrown preschooler, which has been just so, so foundational in our understanding of play and has helped me realize how much my older children still need play. So we kind of do that stuff then. And my older kids have their quiet reading time. And I just love, I know you did that too. I know your, your kids read, you know, to yes, that was like a key a part of our day. And it was, yeah. it was, and then they look forward to that because I pretty much, I mean, they, I oversaw what was available, but they could read right. what they wanted at that point. Right. So yeah. that's, that's been really freeing for them. They, they really are starting to enjoy that part of the day. And then we kind of close out with something I call, we call the blessing hour which is when the kids clean the house, mm. <laughs> they tidy up um, the common rooms and then just make sure that their rooms are still somewhat tidy. And then, of course, I, I'm sure you know the horrors of the um, of the all boys bathroom. Yeah, so they have to go I just deal definitely with that. know those horrors. <laughs> <laughs> they have to go deal with that in the afternoons. But I always say to them, we call it the blessing hour because it blesses our family to have a clean home when daddy comes home. 
so that then we can all enjoy each other in the evening. Well, I wish to... now that makes me just want to go back and start all over. That's an awesome way. <laughs> That's wonderful yeah, th way to call that out. And I, as yeah. to the horrors of the boys' bathroom, I think that over the over time, I eventually forgot what a clean bathroom actually looked like. Oh, gosh. And um, I mean, now, now <laughs> my bathroom's clean all the time. Mm -hmm. So I didn't totally forget. I was able to someday reclaim that. So nice. But um, I don't really think I, I even one, knew yeah, what was going on. That's the one thing I won't miss. I mean, I always have, you know, older moms say, oh, you'll miss the messes. And I can see that. I treasure that now. I find muddy footprints and I, I snap a picture of them because I'm trying to, you know, treasure them and really enjoy where they're at right now. And I know, I know the days are fleeting. So I, I try not to get hung up on, well, it's not a museum. It's their home. And I, I want them to be free to live in it. Um, but the bathroom, I'm, I am not going to miss anything about that bathroom, but yeah. <laughs> bl bless, blessing time is not so much about putting the house perfectly back yes. together. I just, I just want to see some kind of, of effort of wanting to bless others of them. not yeah, thinking about. I, I think that's yeah. a wonderful way to put that, you know, not like, Oh no, we got to get this house cleaned up right now because, yeah. and I'm sure my kids, that's what they remember about me. Oh my goodness. Somebody's <laughs> coming over. <laughs> We have to clean this house. So I and I try to tell them like we want to leave our house, you know, nice. Someone, if we just had a great um, practicum uh, for our area for classical conversations a couple weeks ago, and there was a gentleman attending that said, you know, we were talking, we were doing the five common topics to talk about um, the importance of chores in the home, and he said that he always told his children that they wanted to leave the house ready for ministry. So that mm. if anyone needed to come over to share a meal or to stay in the guest room or to just come and talk for an hour on the sofa, that the house would be in an acceptable condition for them to be able to do that. I thought that was so beautiful. I came home and told my boys, we, it's not just about blessing the immediate people in our family, but all the people in our community um, that might, you know, the ministry opportunities that, that we have with them, if they should ever need to come into our home, that we have it ready to receive them you know, at any given time. So that's kind of where we've landed on that. And again, the house is not perfect by any it's stretch of the imagination. It's not an impossible standard. Yeah. You want people to be comfortable right. in your home. You're not trying to make it a showcase. Right. right. I'm, I'm not a chore chart kind of girl. Those things, I just, I feel like they're just setting me up for failure. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I yeah. don't do well with them. The stickers, the charts, the gra I just, oh, I don't yeah. do well with that. So that's kind of why we, we ended up just, we're just going to bless our family. No, I like that. I think that best. works really well when you do that. When you say, um, um, you know, we're not going to, uh, it, it's not about, I'm going to check. Once again, this, this whole checking off this box is not mm -hmm. really the point because then we just barely do it in, in a way that, um, you know, just to say we did it without, um, but, but to actually have just like you're saying, um, chunks of time or part of the rhythm of your life is to, is to get things back in order. And, um, I think that's really a great way to go about it. Well, I don't, I, I feel like once again, we could talk for a really long time, but <laughs> you said you're reading aloud Treasure Island. That's a difficult book. And yet, and yet I've never, the kid, kids really relate well to that. It, it, even though, um, the, some way that he wrote that is uh, to, to just look at the words. Um, it's yeah. not an easy book and yet kids really understand what's going on and they, and they can't wait to hear the next chapter. 
I, I think it's in many ways a musical book. There's mm. there's such that that that's rhythm of the ocean is throughout the entire book. True. My my son said said that the other day. We had just finished one of the chapters, and he said, "Mom, he writes like the ocean. All every time you say a sentence, it sounds like a rolling wave back and forth." And、uh. he's like, "If you're not careful, you could get seasick reading this book." Ah. So that's true. He does have a way with words, doesn't he? So we're we're definitely enjoying that one. We're also reading、um, the Burgess Bird book right now. Okay. That's we started reading that by ourselves until we got to the Bob White story, and my husband happened to be home for that, and he read it. And our kids, when he started going Bob, Bob White, Bob White, <laughs> my kids started, my kids started belly laughing so hard that now they keep saying, "Why don't we save this for when Dad comes home so he can do the bird calls?" I guess he has a funnier way of doing.、Uh, He's good. Yeah, and that's、yep. a difficult book, and yet, and yet, kids.、Um, my my student last year really enjoyed that. Those stories. I couldn't、yeah. read. Always read the whole chapter. Sometimes I couldn't. Sometimes I couldn't. But、um, mm-hmm. he he really、uh, he likes birds, and and so、um, yeah. that's a great great book. So so those I, are wonderful stories that to read. Yeah, we. I've realized that like they're they have a taste for meatier books now, just because that's what I reached for and that's what I read to them. And so now when I try to reach books for books that are a little more dumbed down, they hate them. Actually, I never reach for dumbed down books. Anytime we're around someone that happens to be reading a book that kind of talks down to kids or is twaddle, whatever, they、right. really have. They just have no taste for it. We were at the library the other day, and we love our librarian. She's very, very sweet. We actually have two librarians. We're very blessed. We have a, a public library that's excellent, and then、um, Michelle Miller from Living Learning Library. She has a library up in Michigan. She's actually moved down to our area and opened up a Living Books library. And、oh, I, I was thinking, I, I didn't think she was in Florida, <laughs> but she's down. She has two libraries. She's down here now. We love her, and my boys just adore her. And her mom is works at the library too. And my kids call her grandma, and well, everybody calls her grandma. But every we just love going to that library. But our our public library, the librarian invited us、um, to sit in for story time, and we walked in there. And within five minutes, my eldest son looked at me, and he's like, "These books are terrible, and I don't think anyone realizes it." Aww. <laughs> I said I know, but we're just going to sit politely and listen, and then we can talk about it in the car.、Um, and sure enough, we got in the car, and they were like, "There was one story, a, a rewrite of Rapunzel," and my、oh. son was like, "This was such, it was such a weird story. Like Rapunzel was throwing all these clothes out of the window, and the colors in the book were we was a you know it was a a, com- a computer graphic、oh. um, illustrated book," and he said, "You know the drawings weren't very good to look at," and he goes. And it's just not a good fairy tale the way they they told it. And he said fairy tales don't lie to kids,、Aww. and that book was lying to kids. Wow! Said,、right. Wow! <laughs> it it. Yeah. So they, I'm always interested in the kind of reflections that they have with the stories they read, just because they've been hearing those things for so long since they were little that now they're. they're I need to tell Angelina Stanford that、um, what your son said. I, she might want to put that somewhere in her book or something because. <laughs> Fairy tales don't lie to kids. They don't. That's, that's awesome. Things, yeah, that's one of the things my kids have really appreciated. They said, you know, the the news sometimes will not tell you the whole truth, and a lot of times 
other stories, you know, they're written because they want you to think a certain way. But fairy tales don't lie to kids. And, and they also say uh, Aesop's fables. They say, you know, you don't you never get lied to there either. It's wow. always there's always wow. a lot of truth there. So, yeah, yep. it's interesting that they pick up on that. And I think that is so true with kids. They know they know that's why kids get, get disconnected at school so often, because they know mm-hmm. that, that what they're learning really um, you know, we have that whole thing, well, you know, you're going to use it later in life, but sometimes, um, they know that what they're learning is, is somehow disconnected from, from truth and, and, and goodness. Right. right. Uh, well, let me ask you one more question, then we'll close up. Sure. Are you reading any good books for yourself this summer? <laughs> oh my goodness. Am I ever, um, I'm reading, uh, right now I'm reading Anthony Eslin's A Life Under Compulsion. Oh, I really want to um, read that. It's really good. I loved his 10 Ways to Destroy the Imagination of Your Child. I read that a couple of years ago. That was a great summer. I read that book and Death by Living uh, by Undie Wilson. Mm. And I mean, it was a great summer. I just loved both of those books. And so this summer, I thought I would read that. And then um, Simply Charlotte Mason just released, re-released um, the old Pink series, the home- Charlotte Mason homeschooling series, the original right. Andrea series. So they've re-released that and my set just came in yesterday and it's got these big margins and the text is bigger and I'm looking at these thinking, I think I'm going to have to reread Charlotte this summer because these are just so like beautifully done and I can stick all my notes in the margins. Well, I stuff. thought about that. There was some talk about the size and I thought, well, you know what? That's kind of cool to have a big size like that. It is. The text is bigger. There's there's big margins. I really like that they kept the original page numbers in the middle so that you can still find you know, all the things in our, in your old references and stuff. And then, let oh, me that see. would be nice. Especially I have a lot of underlinings uh, in my old books, but, but my, but my, most of my books are in more than one piece. Yep. So yep. no, that's mine. I have, um, I think ourselves is, is split in half. I have it taped up the back. Um, let me think. I have two other books in my stack. I'm a, sp- I, I read, I'm a speed reader. Right. So when I read deeper books, I always have to remind myself to slow down. I, I just read um, Beauty and the Word and loved it. Oh, I love that uh, book. <laughs> it was so good. It was so good. And now, oh, Weight of Glory. I wanted to read C.S. Oh, Lewis. That's, that, well, what a, great, what a great list. That's a fantastic yeah, list. I, I always try to have C.S. Lewis either some, on my nightstand or somewhere on the horizon. Because yeah, just, me too. That's like my, my, my main thing. Always have a C.S. Lewis in, in the coming yeah. up or just read. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's great. The Weight of Glory, too, is one of my favorites of his. Mm-hmm. Um, just such a great, great, great book. It's one that you just can keep reading over and over again. Yeah. Well, so I have to know what you're reading now because uh, you asked me and I'm just okay. curious about what you're reading. <laughs> well, I just was reading home education for a little group that uh, is at, from our church that's meeting. And mm-hmm. so I, I've spent some time rereading that and it's been a long time. So that has been very enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And I finished two days ago, Bride's Head Revisited, uh, rereading oh. that. Pretty yeah. much everything I'm reading right now, I'm almost completely just doing rereadings yeah and that was just wonderful I did an audio that with audio and it had mm-hmm. um, Jeremy Irons was uh, doing the audio which oh, nice. I'm really uh, voices really get me and that that was so beautifully done yeah um, I, I could have just listened all day long to the words which were beautifully written mm-hmm. and his voice and then I'm also finally trying to finish up this uh, uh, Raj Quartet, which I've been reading for probably about five oh. years. 
So um, that's I'm in the the fourth book yeah. of that quartet. So and it's very good. It's I but the, it's I forget. I forget the actual name of it of the fourth book, but um, I'm I'm about I'm ten percent through it, <laughs> so okay. I'm reading it yeah, on my I Kindle. Have a, I have a book like Norms and Nobility. I feel like I've I've read that three times, and I feel like I only catch about ten percent every yes, time. And yes, I have it. I'm I'm thinking about doing the atrium this this year just to finally get through it with more people and more voices, just to kind of understand it more, but. Yeah, yeah. I'm, re- I'm actually rereading that on the Ambleside list with Karen Glass, and we're oh, reading it super slowly, which yeah. is it's a different experience than reading it fast. And it, it, I'm yeah. finding it hard to, from one time to the next to keep up with the ideas. I'm having to go back and forth a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, um, you, that is a difficult book. That you, I mean, it's a wonderful book. And when he, I, I don't even know how David Hicks writes the way he writes. <laughs> Um, I just love what he says, but you just to glean from each, every sentence is every word means something and it's it's wonderful. I'm excited to uh, divide that up and and tackle it slowly. I read a lot of fiction during the year. I do most of my nonfiction in the summer when I have more time to really like tear, you know, take things apart and look at them really carefully. But and during the year, I just fiction, fiction, fiction. Yeah, it's nice to get inspired um, in your endeavors for the new year during the summer. So, well, it has been very nice to talk to you. I enjoy, I really enjoyed meeting you, and I knew that we would have a good conversation. Uh, that, and this has been delightful. I'm sure that people will find this extremely helpful. So, um, thank you very much. No, oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I really enjoyed it.